I'm going to read the scripture for this morning, which is from Habakkuk 3, 1 through 2, and 16 through 19. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigioneth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. This is verses 16 through 19. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Good morning again. My name is... Matt Blazer, I'm the pastor here at Covenant Presbyterian Church. And Habakkuk has been a delight for me to study and preach this Advent because um, how very personal his waiting is. We're experiencing a time of collective grief and um, waiting, especially now that there's a vaccine with COVID, and yet all of us have our individual um, stories, more acute things that we're grieving or uh, still experiencing pain, or the fear that comes along with mystery. And, and Habakkuk's incredibly honest faith um, is refreshing, in my opinion. Eric, my remote is not working, so you're in charge. Habakkuk writes a song here, and if the, if the book begins with the song it would have an entirely different temperament. But for it to begin with Habakkuk being frustrated with God and expressing his frustration very clearly, God answers. And then Habakkuk is frustrated with God's answer. And then God speaks again. And then Habakkuk composes a song about his Redeemer and Savior, the Lord. A song is, is something that is very intimate, right? Have you ever written a song? For another human, have you ever sang a song to another human? <laughs> Maybe poetry. Um, when I was in high school, I wrote a, a handful of poems for girls I had crushes on. Did not avail what I hoped that it would. Some of you know that uh, when my wife and I were dating, I sang her the song Patience by Guns N' Roses. I feel close with you, members of this congregation, and so thought about perhaps <laughs> this is a terrible idea. We're not going to do this, but singing is an intimate thing. And so here, when Habakkuk tells us, I believe probably the tune of the song, Shigianoth, we learn 
about how he feels and how he thinks and how he takes joy in the Lord through this song. And last week we looked more specifically at his picture of God over the earth. Images of the Exodus, images of Jesus' second return. Habakkuk didn't know nearly as much about Jesus as we did, but um, developed a picture that he put into song. And this is an interesting challenge to preach on this because I, I, continue, I continue to be, frankly, grossed out by how confident our culture is that the highest level of humanity available is for you to be autonomous, for you to need no one and be fully capable all the time. And <laughs> that's just ridiculous. And that makes it challenging to preach such beautiful individual faith. Because that ultimately, our faith is not about us. It's about the Lord, and then it's about us serving. But it is also very sweetly about what we receive from the Holy Spirit as followers of God. And how we are able, like Habakkuk, to take joy, even the day before the darkest day of the year, in what for most of us has been the darkest year of our life, at least collectively, if not individually. And so while it's not about you, you receive some very, very sweet things by faith. And Habakkuk reflects on them, both in his ongoing words of disorientation and in his praises. What's your favorite name of God? You know, he has a lot of names. What's your favorite name that's um, a metaphor? Habakkuk calls the Lord his strength. He says, he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on, the high pla- on my high places. Throughout the scriptures, people call God a rock. God himself calls him, likens himself to an eagle in Exodus chapter 19. And then he has his specific names, El Shaddai, which people think probably means the Almighty, but it's such an old name. We're not positive what it means. And responsible Bible translations put that in a little footnote. The Lord will see to it or provide from Genesis 22. Jehovah Jireh is the song. As a, someone familiar with the languages, that phrase does that. I don't love it, but I love it in the scriptures. The Lord will see to it. What's your favorite name for God? And do you pray that way? Not all the time, but sometimes. Uh, the, one of the two founding elders of Riverside Church, the church that uh, Rachel and I attended for over 10 years before moving to Connecticut, um, one of the elders there named John Dames would always begin with, Good morning, Father, or Good evening, Father. And he had a lovely voice, and you could tell that he meant it. He sensed, in, a, in an ongoing, regular way, the intimacy that he had because of the work of Christ with the Father. And it's reflected here, I think, in Habakkuk's confidence in God, especially at the end. But even, even in his disorienting words in verse 2 and verse 16, to express disorientation, pain, fear to God is a move of faith. And I think that we have the opportunity to continue to receive joy even now. This past summer, we were not able to do day camp. 
the way that we wanted to. So we did an online day camp, and um, we even had to move it to uh, into Simsbury because we lost Wi-Fi. I, incredible, incredible team doing day camp. This is a photo of me developing one of the games with water guns. This is called If You Build It, Your Mom Is Sure to Check on You. And it was fun, and I had fun. And my favorite part was watching my daughter have fun playing the games during day camp. It was not like it used to be. And yet, there was laughter every day. There was still felt joy. Biblical joy is something that cannot be taken away from us. There was felt joy, even in such a rough season as this. So Habakkuk takes joy with all of his questions. He still has questions. You know, faith doesn't remove doubt. Uh, Travis Scott wrote a book that I was reading in addition to Frustrated with God about Habakkuk, and it's called um, Faithful Doubt. Doubt is not the antithesis of faith. Doubt is part of faith. Doubt, tells, doubt in a faithful person tells us whose feet to leave our doubts at, knowing he is a good God. Habakkuk still has questions. In the midst of the years, revive it. He says in verse 2, In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy, which is a request. I believe here Habakkuk is referring to the fate of Judah. I believe because of his own emotions, because it's his own people and his own God and his own worship that was connected to a place in a way we can't relate to, Habakkuk can barely picture what's going to happen to Judah. And so he's going to be vague about it. He still has questions. Doubt, faith doesn't remove doubt. It tells us what to do with our doubt. Habakkuk wants Judah to have a chance, and he understands prophecy better than we do, for the most part. So he understands that while God has said Judah is going to be treated like Babylon, or sorry, uh, Babylon is going to treat Judah the way that it treated the northern kingdom, it's going to allow, God is going to allow Judah to be exiled horrifically and violently. And then Babylon will receive the same treatment at the hand of the, of the Persians. We know that because of history. We don't know what country from God's prophecy. Anyway, Habakkuk still wants Judah to have a chance because he understands that prophecy is as much about turning the hearts of the people back to God as it is about the future. In fact, more often it's about that. That's why some prophecies... Um, are not fulfilled the way that they're described because the point is not future telling as much as it is turning the hearts of the people back, which is why Habakkuk continues to implore God in his wrath to remember mercy. Even when we know what's going to happen in our own lives, we are still led by the scriptures, by the Psalms, and here specifically by Habakkuk, to continue to express to God what it's actually like to be a human being in the world, perhaps especially as a person of faith. Even if we know there's no chance that the diagnosis, medically, scientifically, rationally, that the diagnosis is going to change, we are to continue to speak to God about what we think about that and what we feel about it. Maybe we want to use different words than in wrath, Remember mercy because all of the wrath of God has come down on Jesus. This has not happened in Habakkuk's time, but it has in ours. And yet, I love the honesty. I love how he's imploring God, like David does, like Jesus did in Gethsemane, like Moses and Abraham 
when God told them about destruction that was going to come to the enemies of God. Habakkuk still has questions and hopes. What questions do you have for God? As I wrestled with this particular part of the sermon throughout the week, I think what I would want, and having never been in the physical presence of God, I imagine I will appropriate this differently when we are together, either in heaven or at his return. I think I kind of want to, it's a wonderful life sort of moment. Like, I'd like to know, so go back to this point in history and show me what would have happened had this gone differently, this sickness or this death or this friendship or this relationship. I think that's why some of those movies, uh, A Christmas Carol and Scrooge and things like that, will continue to be remade is because we have questions. There's an uh, older retired gentleman who volunteers almost every day of the week at the church. His name's George. Did you know that George used to box on TV in Hartford? And some of the times that I see George, he has a story for me like that. And sometimes when I see George, he says, I've got a question for you. Because he's been thinking. Because he's a man of faith. And he doesn't read a bunch of books, and he would tell you he doesn't think deeply about things, but he does because he has questions. What about you? The life of faith doesn't remove our questions. It tells us where to put them, whose feet to put our questions at. One thing that I, I somewhat regret, not regret, one of the things that people who have gone to, let me say it this way, one of the things that frustrates me about having a seminary education is I already know a number of the ways that others have answered the questions that I have, and sometimes that blocks me from the honesty of my own question. I don't know if that's true for you. But I really want to know about a number of things that have happened in my life. How could that possibly have glorified you? And I have imagination towards that, but I'd really like to know. Part of the life of faith that Habakkuk models, and he continues to model it in chapter 3, through song and prayer, is asking questions. And he's afraid. He says it in verse 2, and then he describes it quite profoundly in verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So remember or learn for the first time, Habakkuk's writing a number of years before Judah is going to be exiled. So he's not just waiting on um, the destruction of Babylon. He's also waiting on the destruction of Judah. But that has so much pain and emotion for him, he doesn't describe that in the same detail with the same hope that he does the destruction of Babylon which was a very violent and murderous and um, exploitative uh, nation. So he's not wrong. It's not weird that he wants Babylon to be punished. That's what he's talking about. But he's afraid. He says he's afraid. He describes his fear. Men and women who follow God, which in the New Testament are called saints, not because they act saintly, but because of the work of Christ. Men and women who follow God not only doubt and fear, 
they know intimately where and to whom to express their doubts and their fears. You know, there, there are pastors that say, like, don't fear. There's no reason to fear. Like, get over your fear. And I not only think that's ridiculous, I think it's harmful and unbiblical. What does the angel say to Zechariah? Fear not. Why? Because he was afraid. And the explanation of why the angel was there helped Zechariah quite a bit, though he needed to get a second draft in, because perhaps as a professional religious man, our brains sometimes get in the way. What does the angel say to Mary? Do not fear. Why? Because she was afraid. The life of faith is not antithetical to fear. It tells us what to do with our fear. It helps us be afraid and still follow and trust God. What did the angel say to the shepherds? Do not fear. Why? Because they were afraid, and the explanation of why they were there helped quite a bit. Habakkuk continues to be afraid, and he continues to praise God. He continues to be afraid, and he continues to express his questions and doubts and fears to God in song and in prayer. Now, fear that disproportionately controls or affects us, yes, that's a problem, and it's a spiritual problem and one for conversation and one that we offer up to God in prayer. And yet the scriptures do not tell us not to be afraid. Scriptures teach us that in our fear, God is with us. In verse 17, Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there will be no herd in the stalls. I think this is his picture. This is his acceptance of the picture of Judah being decimated by the Babylonians. And he's not excited about it. He's resigned that God's going to do what God has said he's going to do. And he's very honest about how he thinks about that and how he feels about it. And what he's modeling for us is something that in the scriptures is um, taught regularly. And that's this. Waiting on the Lord is not passive in the language of the life of faith. Waiting is not passive. And by waiting, I mean how we pray and how we think and how we talk with other followers of Christ and how we sing our waiting is an act of worship. It's an act of kingdom receiving. It's an act of defiance to a world under the curse or resistance. Many of you are fearful for your parents or for your kids. I have not really spent a great deal of time thinking about how the past year is going to affect my 14-year-old and my 12-year-old partly because we're still in it, though there's some good reason to hope, but partly because I'm afraid to think too much about that. What do I do? I continue to sing and to pray honestly. Many of you are nervous about your health because you had COVID and it was terrifying, or you had it and it wasn't that bad, which makes the, the mystery of it loom large in our minds. You're nervous about your friends or your children. For me, what happens, uh, the way fear gets me is I will think, what am I going to do if? I don't know if that resonates with you. 
There are a couple different scenarios almost every day. What am I going to do if? And I'm not a particularly fearful person, much more prone to shame. But some things have happened. Specifically, my wife was very sick years ago, and so I worry about her getting sick again. What am I going to do if? And I have temptations in those moments uh, to overthink that, as opposed to hold it up to the Lord and say, would you help me grieve this? And would you guide me in my fear? Boy, Habakkuk is so honest about his fear. Habakkuk is able to take joy with his questions and his fears in trusting faith. You know, there's a book very similar to Pilgrim's, Pil- Pilgrim's Progress um, called Hind's Feet in High Places based upon this um, verse taken, taken from this verse, loosely from Psalm 18 also, but more specifically from Psalm, uh, Habakkuk 3, verse 19, when Habakkuk says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. I have not finished this book, but from what I know of it, it is exceptional. Hannah Hunard, the writer of it, Hernard, says this, The lessons of accepting and triumphing over evil, of becoming acquainted with grief and pain, and ultimately of finding them transformed into something incomparably precious, of learning through constant glad surrender to know the Lord of love himself in a new way and to experience unbroken union with him. These are the lessons of the allegory in this book. The high places and the hind's feet do not refer to heavenly places after death but are meant to be the glorious experience of God's children here and now if they follow the path he chooses for them. I can't fully recommend the book because I have not finished it, but that is exceptionally well said. That is good theology. That is exactly right about what Habakkuk in his song and prayer is getting at. That's what Paul's description of the kingdom in Romans 14 and Jesus' description of the, and John the Baptist's description of the kingdom in the Gospels, that's an excellent explanation of them. Verse 18, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And the yet reminds us of his circumstances. And we have some yet going on, don't we? It's been a dark and a rough year for reasons specific to you, and for reasons collectively. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And this is why you're here. This is why you turned on your computer or your phone or your television. To take joy. To receive the daily joy of the with God life. Which doesn't send our questions away, doesn't send our doubts or our fears away, does something far more amazing and profound and strong and beautiful. Faith fills us so those things become less, less controlling, less acutely painful, still with us because they are, in Hannah's words, becoming something precious in us as a daughter or son of the true king. Riyadh Kasis, a Syrian theologian that I've invited you to read along with, um, says this. We should not be satisfied with God's revealing of himself in an awe-inspiring test or beautiful feeling, despite how wonderful that is. On the contrary, we should expect his presence at all times to be with us in the midst of the pain and hardship of the journey of life. 
That is what Habakkuk is writing about. That is why you're worshiping this morning. That is why you sing and pray and practice the disciplines of the kingdom. That's why you read the Bible longing to understand it. That's why you converse with friends about it to actually experience in a moment-by-moment way the joy of the with God life that we can receive, more specifically, take to Habakkuk's point. So I want to encourage you with something very basic. Spend time this week loving God. Simply saying, God, I love you. If you want to be daring, explore some new metaphors for God. Rock, eagle's wings, refuge, strength. If you want to be triply daring, explore some of the names of God in expressions of prayer and of song. Lord Sabaoth, God of heavenly armies. El Shaddai, the Almighty. Adonai the God who sees to it. The God who provides. The opportunity that we have to love God is taking joy. Amidst our doubts and fears, in the midst of a literal and metaphorically dark time, we still receive, by faith, the joy of the with God life. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise and thank you for the song and prayer that you inspired in Habakkuk. We ask that you teach us to pray and to sing similarly. Ask that you would help us to be honest about our doubts and our fears and with our questions. Holy Spirit, as we continue to reflect on your incarnation, as we continue to see it's celebrated through light and through gifts. Would you draw near to us and give us the sense of your indwelling presence, healing us, guiding us, protecting us, that we might take that joy. Amen.